veritatem facientes in caritate. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. There is a fundamental principle that rules, governs Christian activity, conditioning its value in the eyes of God. This fundamental principle is constantly taught by our superiors, by our priest, by the Institute of Spirituality, and we all know the motto, living the truth in charity. But very often we consider only the external aspects of this motto, its extrinsic meaning or application, but we forget what is the internal, intrinsic application. We often use it in a very correct and Salesian way, in the way of St. Francis de Sales, to explain that the truth has to be taught, proclaimed, and defended with charity. But we remain in that dual relation, I in relation with others, I in my relation with society. However, this is only, I think, a consequence, an effect of the underlying fundamental principle of the theology of St. Paul. As we approach the Lenten season, time for self-reformation, conversion, or reconversion, let us see how we can apply this adage to ourselves with a more intrinsic, internal view in that relation between me, I, and my own nature as a human being, between I and my super-nature, according to the life in grace. So three words, veritatem, truth, caritate, charity, and facientes, which often has a translation that does not encompass fully the Latin meaning to practice, to accomplish, which of course does not only refer to proclaiming the truth, but once again to accomplish it, to practice it. Three points, therefore, for our sermon today. First, our spiritual life can only be maintained in us through human acts, facientes, to accomplish, to perform some actions. Second, these acts must be animated by sanctifying grace, veritatem, the truth, and we will see how. And finally, they must be reported to God through caritate, through charity. Veritatem facientes in caritate. Thus faith, says St. James, if it, has no, if it has no deeds to shew for itself, has lost its own principle of life. This first part is easy to understand, the necessity of good works. In the work of our salvation, deeds, actions, are essential for every life. Our Lord affirmed that the kingdom of heaven will not give entrance to every man who calls me master, master, but only to the man that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. heaven. What we do should only be the concretization of what we believe, what we have learned, what we know to be good for us. Christ, says St. Paul, wins eternal salvation for all those who render obedience to him. But what deeds should we accomplish? What kind of works should we perform? What should be the nature of our actions? Veritatem facientes. Practice 
live the truth. They should be true works. Now, when is an object true? I can affirm that gold is true gold when the reality, the object itself, is in perfect accordance with what the definition of gold encompasses. Otherwise, this is just fake, false gold, a mere copy, a mere imitation of what real gold is. So a human work is said to be true when the action is done according to all the properties that make it human. Reason, will, and freedom. If these conditions are not all present, then it is a false human act. Something is missing. I lied to myself in a way. Once again, reason, dictated by my reason, moved through my willpower and freely accepted, freely done, freedom. And this implies, of course, a lot of consequences for our moral life. The specificity of our actions, actions wanted by God, our Creator, relies on their humanness, accomplished by a free creature, with the will, enlightened by reason. And sin comes into play when my reason is no more considering the will of God as motive and, and guide. And Don Marmion, the spiritual author, conclude, concludes, It is this feature of human acts, fully free, but in accord with our nature and the final end of our creation, and morally good in consequence, which ought to be the primary mark of our work in the sight of God. He who says that he knows him and does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. An act, as you know, is morally good when conformed to right reason, and reason as subject of the divine will of God, which is manifested through Natural law, for instance, the laws in nature, positive law established by men. Here we see right away, if we push the reflection further, that sin truly deforms, destroys nature, because my work, my deeds, do not reflect anymore what my nature claims for its full blossoming. A sinner, a great sinner, is ugly, repulsive. He does not look human anymore, in the sight of God, but also in the sight of his fellow men. But with grace, with sanctifying grace, the one who once was a big sinner can now restore his humanness and the soul, and his soul shines now with the new splendor. Veritatem facientes in caritate. Grace and charity, intimately related to each other. And in fact, what is the only theological virtue I will lose if I commit a mortal sin? Charity. Faith remains, hope remains, but charity is lost. I lose charity with sanctifying grace. And again, the same author, Don Marmin, explains that clearly with his spiritual genius. He says, in caritate, in charity, which is to say, first and foremost, in that fundamental, essential charity which makes us relate entirely to God. Finding in Him the supreme good, we prefer to any other good. This is a description of the fruit of the grace which makes us pleasing to God, 
to the point of being his children. It is true that supernatural charity is not grace, but the two always go together. The charity of God is poured forth in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given has been given to us. And sanctifying grace, as we know, does not remove nature, but it presupposes nature. To give you an analogy here, think of an electric bicycle. The little motor propels the bike to assist the rider's pedal power. Sanctifying grace becomes the source of all human activities, and without which, without which one cannot produce any supernatural act, act that would actually have some meritorious proportion to the bliss of eternal life. In the state of a grave sin, one can perform good actions with some merit in the wider sense of the word merit, but may be receiving graces of conversion, of amendment, of atonement, but only sanctifying grace can give to our life its significance, its value in the sight of our eternal beatitude. Sanctifying grace, which again cannot dwell in the soul along with a mortal sin. If I do not have charity and consequently sanctifying grace, I have become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And if you are a bit familiar with orchestra music, a brass or a cymbal cannot go unnoticed in the orchestra. Think of the end of the Fourth Symphony of Tchaikovsky. Men, in fact, can do a lot. He can get restless in many activities, in generous activities, in incredible actions, in great efforts, in numerous prayers, charities with an S, friendships, studies maybe. But if there is no charity... If there is no sanctifying grace, then no merit whatsoever for heaven. So Lent will start very soon. And this could be our motto, motto during this pilgrimage through the desert with our Lord. Veritatem facientes in caritate. Truth in my works. Acting according to my nature. With reason, will and freedom. By rectifying my actions if they are against what my reason teaches me by judging the smallest daily works under the light of the good, by keeping in my soul as my most precious treasure, charity, which arises with sanctifying grace once again. God can abide in me and I in him. And one day I will be for sure reunited with him for all eternity in a perfect and everlasting act of love Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.